It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, everyone. Just before we start the show, I, I wanted to take a second to say a few words about our, our very kind sponsors. 100 Resilient Cities is a part of the Rockefeller Foundation, which which you'll probably know is one of the world's largest charitable endowments. 100 Resilient Cities is is focused on, on helping cities around the world become more resilient to the, the social, physical and economic challenges of the 21st century. They're doing some excellent projects in terms of, you know, environmental sustainability, in terms of economic sustainability, and just in terms of, you know, making life generally generally better for everyone in cities from Manchester to Miami to Melbourne to Montevideo. You can find out lots more, including reading up on some of those fantastic projects at their website, which is 100resilientcities.org. Anyway, now on with the show. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello. I'm John Elledge, and this is Skyline. It's the Cinemetric Podcast. Something we haven't we haven't nerded out about enough recently, I think, is Britain's how many how many metro mayors are there now? It's somewhere between six and eight, depending on how you count, I think. But but it's, it's it feels like an important topic that we've been neglecting. So um, I've invited the New Statesman special correspondent Stephen Bush to join me, so we can uh, kick some tires. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm well. Do you know who may not be doing so well? Who may not be doing so well? As Sadiq Khan and also this segue. Uh, so it's a, yeah, it's a fun time to kind of kick their tyres because Britain's first metro mayoralty, the, the London mayor, is midway through Sadiq Khan's uh, first or perhaps only term. I think it's probably his first term. I mean, like, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna talk about how, like, maybe he's not as great as it's sometimes assumed, but a lot would have to change for a Tory to have any chance of beating him in two years' time, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the, the the fascinating thing from a kind of to put my kind of day to day political journalist hat on the fascinating thing about it from a race perspective is that on the one hand he is a very very formidable incumbent uh, there are loads and loads of reasons why you can see why the conservative field of candidates to uh, run against him is quite low powered and you can see why the expect- it's insanely low powered it's like so it's only one MP even wanted it it was one who they were clearly never going to <laughs> anywhere near it it was an interesting yeah I mean Rosendale was an interesting it's Andrew Rosendale the MP for um, my, my the land of my father's Romford I'm still disappointed in they uh, did not put him on the shortlist because one, I mean the the prospect of him running was a, would have been an interesting way to find out what the core vote of the Conservatives in London was. I mean, how this, few votes could they get? Yeah, this is a man who is uh, on the record having insulted five of London's thirty-two boroughs, 
and w- wants which five? Uh, Hackney, Newham, Tower Hamlets, Camden, and Islington. And Islington, uh, separate. So four of them. He basically was just like you know, Romford will become a crime. There are brown people a here. Crime written hellhole. So, I'm not saying that Romford will, will become like them in that there will be more brown people, but I also am. That is exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what he was saying. Yeah, and then Islington. He's done the kind of usual sort of like, oh, it's full of metro lefties kind of thing. Uh, he wants to build, he's in favour of the third runway, so he wants to expand the number of flights going over a further two boroughs, three boroughs, two of which are must win for any Conservative mayoral candidate, and he's pro Brexit. So you which have, only five London boroughs voted for Brexit. Yeah. So you have a candidate who is almost optimised to do a very poorly in London. So vote repellent, really. Yeah. Sadly, the Conservative Party decided not to shortlist him. I can understand why, but I am also bitterly disappointed because we could have learned an awful lot from the process. A couple of interesting things about Rosendale that aren't really exactly about politics, but he used to campaign with a bulldog wearing a Union Jack, and um, well into his 40s, he still lived with his mother. No idea what any of those things mean. I just kind of think he's an, he's, he's an interesting figure. He's an interesting figure, but sadly not our future mayor. So, so who who is on the shortlist? You've got Andrew Boff, who's a, a member of the the Greater London Authority, who I think is probably he he he's he's made the shortlist a number of times, but never actually got that close because he's fundamentally not that big a figure. But he's like, I think he's quite credible. I mean, he's. I mean, he definitely could do it, right? I mean, re- like reading his, I kind of went through the sort of the policy statements of the the free on the shortlist, and the thing about Boff is that he's clearly. He is trying to come up with solutions to the problems that London faces, but they have a very obviously Tory flavour. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there about crime. He was talking about um, transport and so on. Like, he, he, he is kind of engaged with the issues, but also recognisably Tory, which is a rarity, I think. Yeah. Um, Sean Bailey. Uh... I kind of think if Sean Bailey was going to happen, he would have happened by now. Well, it is that thing with any uh, off-talked-up rising star. After a while, their failure to rise does yeah. become indicative in he, of itself. So, so Sean Bailey is—he uh, was a council. He's now a GLM member as well, I think. But he was a councillor in a West London borough, Kensington, I think. Hammersmith, Hammersmith, because he was the PPC in Hammersmith in 2010, uh, back when Hammersmith was considered a marginal seat. But I think he might. I think his his uh, ward as a councillor might have been in Kensington because I seem to remember he was talking about Grenfell mm. as a big thing. But he's a uh, you know black British guy who grew up on one of his estates in North Kensington, mm. and was talked up literally a decade ago as like you know one of the Cameroons, sort of new faces of the Conservative Party, and then has failed to get elected to Parliament twice. Um, and he just, he does just sort of seem to be one of those people who's been like, yeah, as you say, he's been talked of as a rising star for so long. The fact he's not yet risen has become, you know, it would have been better for him if nobody had talked him up in some ways. Yeah. Uh, Joy Morrissey is, uh, rounds out the list of three. She is a councillor in Ealing. Ealing. Yeah. And was the parliamentary candidate in 2017. Ameri- uh, American born, I believe, businesswoman. Yeah. And, um, is, or a kind of CSJ, uh, Centre for Social Justice linked. Ian Duncan Smith's uh, think yeah. tank. Yeah. Now, so the, the the big problem I think that all three candidates have is, and I think this is a thing that a lot of people who are, have moved to London 
and who aren't from London and who aren't who don't live in London at all don't really get about the capital. It's actually Lond- Londoners, particularly uh, indigenous Londoners of all kind of creeds and colours, are actually just as chauvinistic as anyone else in the country. It's just they're chauvinistic about in a slightly it, the their kind of natural chauvinism about their place um, expresses itself in slightly idiocratic ways. One of which is, ah, oh, I find it hard to imagine a situation in which anyone I grew up with, these people who voted for Ken and Boris and for Sadiq, would accept someone who hadn't even been an MP Interesting. As, as, yeah. as candidate? Yeah, I mean, historically, both parties have gone for these big figures. Like, say what you like about Zach Goldsmith, he had a reputation, and, you know, I say many awful things about the awful, overprivileged man who clearly never used the tube and had weird views on race relations. Um, he was quite a big name like he was again he was a rising star but of, of that kind of sean bailey cameroon era but he'd actually you know won a seat and done some stuff i do also think part of zach goldsmith's problem even before uh the various decisions and dog whistles his campaign opted for was that he was not um i don't think it needs to be a character but i think um he doesn't have a personality yeah it has to be someone who can basically go who's great we're great um, I'm going to stand up to the city, you know, not as in the city, the city as a whole, uh, the city against everyone else. We're the best. We're king of the world. And I just don't think Zach Goldsmith could carry that off. And I do think that was he a big problem He feels like a shire Tory. Yeah. Like, he feels like, he, I mean, his, his seat is Richmond, but, uh, Richmond Park, which is, you know, Richmond upon Thames. But he feels like he should be MP for somewhere in Oxfordshire or somewhere in the Cotswolds. He didn't feel very London. Like that... I really think that one of the most embarrassing moments of that perpetually embarrassing campaign was when he was doing an interview with like some BBC reporter who was driving a taxi, as you do, and he couldn't name the next stop on the central line. That that feels like weirdly like it's just <laughs> have you been to London? That feels like a basic thing that, that someone should know if they want to run London's transport system. Yeah, it was yeah, he 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 just he, he had this problem I yeah, and you know, ironically, given the kind of various stereotypes uh, people outside have about the capital, he he was just too deracinated to to be an acceptable candidate to to most uh, Londoners. I think the problem these three have is, although they are more kind of from London and you know grounded in it, uh, they're just not. I mean, they're just not high powered and impressive enough. Mm. Now, equally, though, Sadiq Khan, from a policy perspective, should be quite a weak incumbent. I mean, other than the hopper. Yeah, so the hopper is the... Not that long ago, if you changed buses in London, you would have to pay two fares, which doesn't happen if you take the tube. Um, So the hopper fare is a way of, like, within a certain time period, you can keep switching buses. And obviously, this is the thing where, like, you you have to pay two fares was, like, a direct economic disadvantage to people who lived in areas dependent on the bus because like they would have to pay double fare or something in a way people who lived on wherever it was in the tube network would not yeah so it was basically a sort of tax on the poor that is kind of his most solid policy achievement i think the housing stuff it's it's difficult to see exactly what he's done but to be fair um james murray the deputy mayor for housing who used to be my councillor and once fixed my gate uh i had a drink with him just before he took the job uh, and he was, and like I said to him, you know, what what would success look like? And he paused and said, after four years, the tanker would be beginning to turn. So I think that's it, there was always a recognition of how slow it was going to be to actually kind of make a dent in anything. But nonetheless, it is not clear to me that the tanker is doing anything. Yeah, I think the the most damning, well, so the most damning thing actually is uh, the fare freeze. 
which has just sucked a whole load of money out of. And this has come at the point that the, the, the central government is just basically removing revenue support grant. Right? Um, so. Yeah, and the fair freeze really is uh, was was actually in many ways a primary policy. And actually, one of the interesting things uh, about um, about actually all of the metro mayors, I think, is within the ones which are real cities. They are all going to become the the Labour primary is going to gradually become more and more important than the general election. It was more, why so? Well, because it seems to me unlikely that anyone is going to defeat the Labour candidate in uh, <laughs> Greater Merseyside, whatever you want to call that one, uh, Greater Manchester, or the Greater London mayoralty. Which means that the mm, okay. some of the promises that Sadiq Khan uh, made were primarily about defeating Tessa Jow rather than defeating Zach Goldsmith. And it feels to me unlikely that that will change in London in uh, in the foreseeable future. Does that slightly incentivise A, policies which reward your selectorate rather than the electorate? Yeah, probably. Does it also mean that you are less likely to have a situation where you have to... Because the thing that Zach Goldsmith never successfully managed to do, because instead he decided to go down a weird rabbit warren of, of Islamophobic tropes, was to make the point that, yeah, but wait a second, if you're going to have this fair freeze, what does this mean for the condition of the of the tube line? Yeah, it's worth spelling this out a little bit. So Sadiq Khan, uh, his kind of cornerstone promise was a fair freeze on the tube. Now, the problem is that tube fares are basically subsidising everything else on London transport. Like, there is an interpretation which TfL is quite keen to push, but does seem to be accurate in its way, that because... TfL is responsible for the kind of core, the, the, the trunk roads on London's road network, the local streets are council ones, but kind of the, the main roads are run by TfL. Um, because it is no longer getting money from central government, this means that perversely, tube passengers are in fact subsidising uh, car drivers, which is crazy. It's like That's barking. That's not something you would hear anywhere else. But it's kind of a measure of like how how successful TfL has been at its job this last decade or two. But the fair freeze means that you know, at a time, it, they've had to basically cut back on investment, like on basically everything, right? Yeah. And because the fair freeze is on pay-as-you-go rather than travel cards, it's not, I think, actually something that a large chunk of voters thank him for either yeah it's kind of the worst of a world um now of course that won't be the centerpiece of the conservative campaign the conservative campaign will be crime is up step two question mark step three sadiq khan defeated i think the crime thing is actually not as lucrative a argument as they think people kind of think it's the now actually now of course uh the truth is that there are the, the, the mayor of london is responsible for crime in a variety of ways but but I think when people just intuitively buy Sadiq Khan's argument, then, well, if you cut policing, then crime is going to go up. And also, because crime is going up everywhere, uh, it is quite hard to make any of the arguments that it is a London problem stick. I think also it's just like the vagueness of the mayor's responsibilities really helps. Like, I remember probably in Boris Johnson's first term... There was a brief attempt to kind of make it was a bloody hashtag, I think, get a grip, Boris, mm. and like just try and pin certain stuff that was going wrong to him, and it just didn't work. Like I, I thought he was a dreadful mayor, particularly early on, but like he remained incredibly popular because people treat the mayoralty as this kind of figurehead rather than someone deeply involved in the nitty gritty of policy. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So, so let's talk briefly about the, the, other, the other cities. So I think Liverpool and Manchester, it's like the, the incumbents, if they want another term, there's another term waiting for them, right? Yeah. There's, just, there's, no, there's no way that Andy Burnham or, or Steve Rotherham are going to shift. Uh, yeah, no, and I think um, Andy Burnham, admittedly, they've also only been in office, all of the other mayoral uh, metros have only been in office for a year. Mm. But I think Andy Burnham has done a uh, very good job. He's doing lots of quite inter- He's trying to do lots of interesting things in housing. Well, I think the. Some of the cycling. Uh, cycle path policies coming down from Manchester genuinely like I was as a cyclist in London I was like looking at these things thinking bloody hell I'm jealous of that um yeah I, I think I mean I, I do think Andy was as well as being a great candidate you know he significantly overran the Labour the Labour ticket uh in, in, yeah. in that election ha, has uh clearly thought a lot about it and is doing a, a very good job um they're trying to get into stuff on on homelessness up there as well like he's been spending a lot of time shouting at Northern Round, Chris Grayling over the, the crisis, which we discussed in this podcast a few episodes back with Jem Williams and the Manchester Evening News. Um, he's doing, he's putting in a sort of a, a fair performance, I think. Steve Rotherham, I'm not really sure what he's up to. It's, but I don't know if that's because there is less, less reporting from Liverpool makes it down to London and does from Manchester or whether it's because there is kind of still that sort of weird division of powers where there's the mayor of Liverpool and the mayor of the Liverpool city region and they're kind of like, you know, beefing it out a bit. Well, I think it's a combination of the of the two, right? Then there's... I mean, obviously Andy Burnham also has uh, a continual battle about who, who runs the conurbation. Is it him or is it, you know, is it uh, uh, Manchester Council itself? But Andy Burnham seems to be decisively winning that. Whereas in is less clear in the case of the Greater Liverpool mayoralty. So in some ways, the other thing is the two weakest incumbents from an electoral perspective are the Conservatives in the Tees Valley and uh, the West Midlands. Neither of whom, if if Labour had been doing as you would hope an opposition would be doing at that point in the cycle, neither of those should have got, guys should have got elected. And this has kind of been forgotten now, like quite how terrible those those May twenty seventeen. Uh, local election results were for Labour because a month later, like they they did unexpectedly well in general, 
But in May 2017, it was basically a disaster zone for Labour. Um, I think in the West Midlands, it was in large part because, let's be honest, Sean Simon was a terrible candidate. I, I mean, I think Sean Simon was a poor candidate, but I... I mean, you can't ever escape the the, the national uh, picture. I mean, obviously, the 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 grimmest and and but most obvious example of that is, of course, Kensington, right, where there is quite literally a seventy foot monument to the council not being very good at doing some things right. They still got re-elected very comfortably. Yeah. Why? Because it's a it's a national local elections do largely reflect national standing. But equally, uh, because but it, it was so close in the West Mid, it was close. It was uh, something insane, like fifty point five to forty nine point five. One assumes a better Labour candidate would have ridden that out. He was just complacent. I mean, like I, I got when I went up to meet him to record him for this podcast. In fact, I got the distinct impression that. Like, he was just talking about how, like, everyone always talked about how Labour, Manchester and Liverpool were. But if you look to the West Midlands, it was really only a few points behind. And it's like, that did not feel like, that did not feel like the argument of a man who was hungry to, to go out there and fight an election. I have heard from people up there in the local party that he thinks he might stand again. And that the local parties are not so keen on this idea. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting one because, um, because it was such a bad cycle. I mean, you would have expected if those mayoral elections had been held uh, on with the local elections we had this year, uh, from how Labour did in those ones, you would assume that no, both of those, both that and Tees Valley, would have been Labour Labour wins. And so you'd think that it would be an attractive slot for someone, particularly as there are a lot of uh, high high powered and well qualified uh, Labour MPs in the conurbation who are not politically aligned with the Labour leadership nationally. And you'd think that a lot of them might think, do you know what? I'd like to run something. Mm. So you've got like Gisela Stewart, who's not, which is on the way out as an MP. Yeah. Um, um, Jess Phillips, possibly. Liam Byrne, who's been a cabinet minister. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've, you've, you have got a lot of people who really could do it. Uh, many of whom you can see might sort of go, do you know what? I think Labour's best candidate up there would probably be Tom Watson, actually. The deputy's currently busiest deputy leader being told to piss off by various Corbynites because he's taking a stand against anti-Semitism. But I think he is kind of like one of the bigger figures in the West Midlands Labour Party in, in every sense, really. And I think he would actually put in a good show both as a candidate and as a mayor. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he would do it because it would mean... Uh, he's too committed to, with, yeah, to Westminster. Losing game, the, yeah. his constitutionally important role as deputy leader. But I mean, I always felt like Sean Simon was basically there as his mini-me, yeah. which was not great. But so the question is, I guess, is... Now, Andy Street is doing a lot. The Conservatives are putting a lot of resource, both from a political and a treasury perspective, into him and the idea of re-electing him. Whether or not that's enough, the weird thing is, right, is basically if you were if you were just eyeballing it as a political scientist, if I if a political scientist had dropped down from Mars, they knew nothing about uh, any of the politics, but they just knew about how electoral cycles worked. You'd eyeball it and you go, well, the Conservatives will lose that one, but they are putting a lot of resources mm. into it, so. Yeah, and the West Midlands has kind of drifted towards the blue column because it's quite leavy. Um, despite being incredibly ethnically diverse, it's a surprisingly kind of leavy conurbation. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I kind of instinctively think Street will do it again because he's just like, I mean, there's an incumbency advantage. People it's, do tend to want to reward incumbents. They, yeah. there's quite a strong thing going that people feel that you deserve a second term. First term incumbents are hard to beat, but I think he'll lose. Really? Uh, yeah, I think he'll lose just because um, 
one, my assumption is that the Brexit deal will 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 either not happen at all, and at that point we are really in you know quite dangerous and choppy political waters, and I can't see how incumbent uh, politicians are going to ride that out. Uh, or the Brexit deal will be something which looks a lot like checkers. I will disappoint at least some Leave voters. And the Conservative performance in the West Mids is so dependent on their ability to leverage mo- the votes of most people who voted to leave. Uh, yeah, so I just find it hard to conceive of an electoral situation in which he is able to be re-elected. Okay, well, I, I instinctively think he'll he'll do it, but that might just be because I'm reading across from the last election. We'll, we'll see. Let's do the Tees Valley. So the Tees Valley was, of course, the, the great tragedy of the last Metro Mayor electoral cycle when um, the sainted Sue Jeffrey lost to, to that upstart Ben Houchen, who's actually not been terrible. Yeah, he's kind of, I think, having essentially ran to raise his profile. Yeah, he kind of ran this sort of troll, trolling campaign, doing a lot, but he actually does seem to have kind of got his hands dirty with policy since he's been in the job and it's like that. So, you know. The, but the slight, so the, the weird, one of the weird things about that election uh, cycle is that people treated the Tees Valley right from the beginning on both sides like it was not a serious contest in the way that the West Mids was. But from a vote share perspective, right, they both have exactly the same yeah, the, the partisan balance of the two uh, conurbations was essentially the same. I so, think, I wonder if it's because, like, the Tees Valley region is the old uh, sort of made-up county of Cleveland, which was, like, bits of North Yorkshire and bits of County Durham that happened to be by the Tees Valley. But they also stuck an extra... But I think Darlington was the one that was never in, in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, so I think people were reading across from, from Cleveland, which had not been marginal, forgetting that Darlington kind of changed the mix quite a lot. Yeah, I think that probably was uh, why. My assumption is, again, the same dynamic that will play out in the West Mids, I expect to play out in Tees Valley next time, with the added problem that... So the odd thing is, is that Ben Houchin ought to be seen by conservative strategists and crucially by the conservative treasury as an equally defensible and important mayoral victory. Because from a mathematical perspective, that is no less marginal than the West Mids. Mm. But because everyone on both sides basically believes that the Tees Valley was a an astonishing win, he's kind of people yeah, a lot of conservatives talk about him in the same way than um you know labor strategists would talk about people who'd who'd won really really safe tory seats in 97 in 2001 you know there's four who got knocked off and whenever yeah. you read diaries from that period there's basically like a i met someone from this place which is was only ever been labeled you know from horn church whatever well we're not bad war we're not expecting him to come back yeah right and there is that weird way that people do that with, with Ben Houch, and so I think he will receive even less central government help, which means he will definitely... Also, it's it's a small conurbation. It's a long way from London. They're just... You know, people, it, it, it's the one people are sort of forget exists at all, I think. Talking of which, yeah. um, we won't do Cambridge and Peterborough because that's going to be safe Tory. Like James, I think James Palmer seems like a decent enough sort as these things go, but like that one's that one's not moving. He's, if he wants re-election, he's got it. Mm-hmm. The West of England is more interesting because that did have the potential to be a freeway marginal, um, which was talked up quite a lot by the Lib Dem Stephen Williams. It turned out not be that close to freeway marginal, as I recall, but. Labour didn't do too badly. Do you think they could, do you think the party has any hope next time round? I think that, that mayoralty, I mean, to have my sort of brief hate on for the supplementary vote was an election which really exposed the problem with the supplementary vote because it was a three-way marginal. 
you had to guess basically which way to stop. And mm. if you look at the number of wasted votes, so people who have gone, I'm going to vote green and the liberals are going to be in the final round. Uh, there was quite a large number. So I think the problem for the Conservatives there will be the next time it will be obvious who the not Conservative candidate is, which you would assume becomes a problem for them in the mm. supplementary vote. Uh, so I, again, I would expect uh, a much redder complexion of Metro mayors uh, in three years' time. Okay, we should be wrapping up, but one last thing we haven't talked about Sheffield because that's first, it's a reasonably pointless mayoralty because it has no powers whatsoever. And even the, the guy, even the incumbent Dan Jarvis doesn't really think it should be there because he wants it to be a bigger Yorkshire deal. And, and also it's incredibly safe labour. Are there going to be any more by 2020? There have been a couple, like there's the North Tyne one, which is basically old Northumberland, um, but does mean there's a weird thing of like effectively cutting the Newcastle urban area in two because Gateshead and Sunderland didn't want to play, which is seems stupid to me, but there we are. I mean, I think there won't be any more in this parliament because... I don't think there's the bandwidth or the interest, yeah, frankly. Yeah, Theresa May is not interested in them anyway, and but even if she were, uh, there is no parliamentary or civil service uh, capacity which means that no one is actually that interested in going. Um, so, I mean, I do think that it's sad because I think, you know, there is a strong argument for a, a, a stronger local government uh, face in, in kind of the Sheffield City region. But I do think that actually that will just be one of those weird trivia questions. You know, then people kind of go, who was the only Sheffield City region? Oh, Dan Jarvis. Um, because yeah, when is when is there going to be the parliamentary time, energy, or inclination under Theresa May during Brexit, or indeed afterwards when the Conservative Party will, I imagine, primarily at that point, be focused on throwing any number of bribes it thinks it can afford at the electorate to get them to not hate them? Okay, well, you heard it here first. Sheffield City region always in their hearts. You're of the angels now. See you next time. You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and produced by me, John Ellidge. If you enjoyed the episode, then please do consider leaving us an iTunes review. It really helps other people to discover the show. And, you know, the more people get listening to the show, the sooner I can achieve my real goal of world domination for the medium of trains. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>